Well, would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and our text this morning will be verses 1 through 4, and as we come back to Hebrews, we return to the question that Hebrews is answering for us, and that is, who is Jesus? And we have seen so far that he is the final revelation of God. He is the fullness of God's revelation. We saw last week and spent considerable time considering that he is the heir of all things and exactly what that meant. And today, we wrestle with another aspect of this passage here. In verse 2, we wrestle with the fact that the one who took on flesh, a human nature, that which is material... That one who is God, God is spirit, but yet God takes on that which is material to accomplish salvation. He who is distinct from creation but takes on creation as a man is the very one through whom creation itself came into being. You you think of the mystery of the incarnation And the birth of Christ is that God from eternity, John 4.24, God is spirit, takes on the very substance that he himself created. And so while last week as we looked at he was appointed the heir of all things, which demonstrates the work of Christ primarily emphasizing his humanity, uh, this morning we look at This doctrine of creation, which goes beyond to show his deity. So let us hear the word of God. Beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of God, and may the Lord bless the reading of his perfect, inerrant word. And what we see here in asking the question of who is Jesus, we see very plainly, without any confusion, that Scripture identifies the Son As the creator of the world, he is the creator of all things. And I think that as we approach this clause, this phrase here, we should begin with the doctrine of creation itself and consider a few basics of creation since this is speaking of Christ as the creator. Well, the first thing that we do see in this phrase, through whom also he created the world, who is the he, he is not speaking of the Son, but he is speaking of the Father. The Father is the creator, but it is through the Son that he created. That's what the meaning of the text is. The Father is the Creator. He also created the world. That is, God the Father created the world. Now, this is basic to the Jewish faith. This book of Hebrews was written to those that were spread out, that were dispersed, that were Hebrews that had come to faith. And so basic to the Jewish faith, basic to the Scriptures, is that God created all things. He was the creator. In the beginning, God created. That is basic 101 Judaism. That is basic 101 Christianity. But the argument here is that the Father creates through the Son, and so then the Son is also the creator. 
And so why does the author of Hebrews put this there? Well, the author of Hebrews is making a case to those that were considering going back to Judaism. He's making the case that Christ is superior to their old covenant system. And he's pointing out that Christ as God is also Christ the Creator. Now, maybe for some of the Hebrews, that might have seemed like a radical statement. In Judaism, that would have been outright rejected and seen as blasphemy. But was it such a radical concept to the Scriptures itself? Is it such a radical concept to consider if we just looked at the Old Testament that the Father created through the Son? And so we have to understand a couple of things about creation. And so I want us to just go and spend some time in the Old Testament, which gives us the backdrop for what's taking place here. In Isaiah 64, in verse 8, we read this, But now, O Yahweh, that's the holy name of God, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, we are the work of your hand. This is speaking of the Father in creation that God, according by His hand and according to His own purposes, created and brought into being creation. That is speaking very clearly there, we could say, of the Father in creation. Well, we see in Job chapter 33, in verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, I want to point out a few things about this passage here, and I don't mean to get technical, but I, I think it's, it's necessary what we see here. The Spirit of God, that is the Ruach of God, that is the Hebrew, He made, that is, that He produced something, He fashioned something, He created something, and it says that He gives life, that is, the ability to live, to keep alive, and it is specifically of a created and ongoing life, and He did this with His breath. It's attributed to the Spirit of God. Now go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. What do we see there? Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It's an amazing picture that we see here in combination of what we saw in Job. Because when we read the Genesis account, we just see that God created, but then when you begin to look at the, the fullness of God's revelation, you actually see God the Father took out of a lump of clay and brought forth man, but then the Spirit is the one that is giving life in this creation by breathing. Look at Genesis 1. Notice the picture of creation here is a Trinitarian picture. And that is the point we're trying to make here. Is that the act of creation is done by our triune God. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, that is with God's word, let there be light. What was the sun called? Light. And this is before any light was brought into place. There was no sun created yet. There was no moon, the lesser light as it describes. And so what we see here is the very nature of creation is coming from 
the triune God. Many like to say it this way, the Father plans, the Son reveals, the Spirit perfects. But what we see in Scripture is this, is the Father is the fountain of all things that flow through the Son and are applied by the Spirit. That is how creation comes about. Our God is one in essence, distinct in His person. One in will, one in work. Our God is one, but three in persons. This is a mystery of mysteries. There's nothing in existence to which we can say that's, a, that's an example of the Trinity there. You'll oftentimes hear people try to give illustrations of the Trinity by comparing it to something that we see in nature. Doing so almost inevitably results in some sort of heretical view of something. We just have to take what Scripture says is that God is one, but three in person. God is one in essence, but distinct in His personhood. God's will is one. God's work is one, meaning that the persons work inseparably from one another. We don't have three gods. We have one God, three persons. And what have we seen in Genesis 1, in verse 1? It says, in the beginning, God, that is Elohim, which is a plural word. It's a plural now. And many people say that this is the plurality of majesty. So you have the allowance of the Trinity just in that. But then you go to verse 2, and it is, and the Spirit of God, and if you have the ESV translation, the Spirit is capitalized because the authors are recognizing, or the translators are recognizing, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And then when you go to verse 3, and God said, let there be light, what is that? That is God's Word, creation coming about through God's Word by His Spirit. That's what the opening three verses of the Bible tell us. Again, you have to go back and look at what the New Testament tells us to bring such clarity to this. You think of John in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was at beginning with God. All things were created through Him, and nothing that has been made was created without Him. In Him was was what? Life, and that life is the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot comprehend it. An amazing picture of the sun shown to us all the way at the beginning of time. But there's so much more that we have to grab in the fullness of creation. And it is this, in the beginning, that is time. The existence of time came into being because God created time. God is outside of time. If God was inside of time, God would have some sort of limitation and He Himself would be limited. But in the beginning, that is the creation of time that our God creates time. He brings time and now we're subject to it. He creates the heavens. That is space. Then he creates the earth. That is matter. What is it that the Bible tells us just in the opening three verses of Scripture is that he brings into existence time, space, and matter. What else is there? Well, some will say, what about energy? Well, that's answered there too. The Holy Spirit was hovering, energizing over the creation as you see in verse 3. Verse 2, excuse me. All that exists is brought into being by our triune God. He brings into being, into actuality, into existence all that is. How does he do this? He does this out of nothing. He does this out of nothing. That that Hebrew word, barah, is is to create out of nothing. It's by what we say is divine fiat. 
If that sounds like a fancy theological word, well, you know the word or you should know the word fiat because our monetary system is based upon it. We have a fiat monetary system. How is it that they can print money with no backing? They can just do it at will. That's what it means to have a fiat system. God created not out of pre-existing materials, but he created out of nothing. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God did not take some material and begin to work with it and expand it somehow into all that exists, but God brought all that exists into existence. You know, we were talking in Sunday school this morning about how difficult end times are and that it's sometimes ambiguous. It's hard to to get clarity on Scripture and to come to a real clear consensus on an end times view. Let me tell you what is crystal clear about the Scriptures. God created everything out of nothing. And what is also entirely crystal clear is that He did it in six literal 24-hour days. That's not ambiguous. There's no other way to read Genesis than to understand that fact. The Scripture doesn't allow for us to think of it any other way. To think of it as being poetic, as many modern theologians like to say, then just give me one example of Hebrew poetry that matches Genesis and you can't do it. God created all things that exist just as the Bible tells us that He did. And so unashamedly, Without reservation, I I would hold to a young earth because I take seriously what the Bible teaches us. But you see the genius of this in the fact of there is in creation an appearance of age. What do I mean? Well, when God brought forth the creation, Adam, when he created Adam, wasn't a baby. He was a man. And the trees that he had to eat from were trees that were bearing fruit. I bought a little tiny orange caracara tree over three years ago, and that thing still has not produced any fruit on it. I'm waiting for it to produce fruit, but it won't because it takes a period of time. It takes time. But God created with the appearance of age. That is the genius of God's creation. And the point that we're trying to get out from Hebrews and what Scripture shows us is that this flows out of the distinct persons of the Godhead. Just consider Psalm 33, verse 6. The word of Yahweh, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all their host. You see the very attribution of creation to our triune God in the Psalms. This gives us a basic understanding of creation and the doctrine of creation is that the doctrine of creation, God creates all things, that it is our triune God who brings forth all things, and that there's an order in which he brings forth all things. But what we also see is that Hebrews tells us this, through the Son, all of creation comes into existence. Now what is interesting about Hebrews, it says, through whom also He created the world. And I just want to hang on that world, that word world for a, a, just a moment. Oftentimes, the word world is translated from the Greek word cosmos, and you recognize that. That's a Greek word which is translated world, cosmos. That's not the word here. The word is the word from which we get the word aeons, which is usually referring to time. And so he's not using the word for just the world, or what we could say of the earth, but he uses that word of aeons as the totality of creation. In fact, we see one commentator, F.F. Bruce, says this, this speaks of the whole created universe of space 
and time which is meant. And so the author of Hebrews, when it says that all things come into existence through the Son, that He created all things, He created the world, He says it in such a way that we cannot escape the reality that there is nothing that is in existence apart from the Son. It is the Son who brings all things, including time. This is such a crucial point of Scripture that I just want to draw our attention to the places where it attributes this to the Son. As we already read in John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I love how John says, all things were made through Him, which seems to cover it, that all things were made through the Son. But just in case we question, does that really mean all things? He states it in the negative. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians, Paul makes a point about this for much of the same reasons that the author of Hebrews makes it. In the church of Colossae, they were beginning to worship spiritual things. They were going back to asceticism and all sorts of things. And so he writes this of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. And he clarifies it in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think that's pretty clear what he's trying to say all things means. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So notice, the Father is the fount. And all that the Father gives is given through the Son. Wonderful picture of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. All things from God the Father are revealed in the Word and given to us through Him. John in his testament of Christ in creation and Paul in Colossians and 1 Corinthians emphasize the totality of creation with the word all. That He created all things. While Hebrews emphasizes the totality of all by using a word that includes space, time, and matter. It's an amazing thing to consider. What the New Testament teaches us about Christ. And I think we've seen a glimpse already of the Son in the Old Testament. But I think we need to go to the exact place to which I believe the author of Hebrews is referencing. When he says, through whom also he created the world, in his mind he has a a passage of Scripture that he's referencing that the Hebrews would have been very familiar with. And so let's go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. All that we've read concerning Christ that has been revealed to us in the New Testament, I want you to bear that in mind as I read from Proverbs 8, verse 22. We read this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. His first of His acts of old, ages ago I was set up, At the first, before the beginning of earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or 
the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always." rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Does that not give us a picture of the Son in creation bringing forth and through which creation comes about? In fact, we see the idea of eternity. You see in verse 22 of Proverbs 8, his first acts of old, ages ago I was set up, is referring to the eternal origin. We have to wrestle with this for a second. We say that the Son is begotten of the Father, correct? In fact, many of your, your translations will say that He is the begotten Son of God. We understand that that is language used to describe something that we could understand. The Son, begotten of the Father, is not begotten in the same sense that I am begotten of my Father. There was a time in which I wasn't, but there's not a time in which the Son wasn't. That's why we have this little description that clarifies it, he is the eternally begotten Son of the Father. And when you add that idea of eternal to it, means this, is the Son is eternally God, eternally from the Father, and the Spirit eternally flowing from Father and Son. But we see that picture of eternity in Proverbs that through as the personification of wisdom is that it is of the Son. Wisdom here is personified in Proverbs 8 as the mediator of God's revelation. What did we read in Hebrews? That Christ is the final, complete, and fullness of revelation of God. What do we see is that Christ is called the Word of God. What is a word but a vehicle of communication? What is communication? Communication is a revelation of something. Now, is it fair to say that Christ is also called the wisdom of God? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Paul makes this very argument that Christ is the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see in verse 30, This, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom, from God. The scriptures itself testify to this title given to Christ that he is the wisdom of God. And so it makes sense that when we read Proverbs 3:19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. All that was created was created through the Son. It's very simple to understand in terms of what it's telling us, but to comprehend it, that's another thing. But if you look through the New Testament passages, especially in John, in the first five verses, and you compare that to Proverbs 8, you see so many different parallels. And by the way, be familiar with Proverbs 8 beginning in verse 22. We're going to continue to go back there because I believe the author of Hebrews is referencing it in numerous places, and we'll continue to look at that. But you so clearly see that it's Christ being referred to 
It can't just be mere coincidence that it's a parallel. In fact, the author of Hebrews seems to make the same point that the Son is referenced in terms of creation in Hebrews 1.10 in quoting Psalm 102. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. This is speaking of the Son, through whom he created all things. And so the Son is the creator, through whom, or by him, all things are brought about. So, yes, Scripture is telling us through Christ, He created the world, the Father created the world. But what does that say of Christ? Christ is the creator. Because what we see is something that indicates distinction, yet unity, oneness of work. This is another glimpse that we see of the nature of our triune God. But what does it mean through him? What does that mean? When we think of creation through the Son, for a moment just consider how salvation works and how Scripture presents salvation. The Father saves a people through sending his Son. In fact, doesn't Jesus even say in John chapter 6, all those that the Father gives to me? And so you see this this Trinitarian work in salvation that the Father has a people set aside to give to the Son, so He sends the Son, and salvation comes about through the Son, but we don't stop there, do we? That's not applied by the Son. That's not applied by the Father. That's applied by the Spirit. And the Son was empowered by the Spirit to accomplish that work of salvation. The Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes His work in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is sent from both the Father and the Son to apply the work of the Son. So salvation is from the Father through the Son applied to the Spirit, by the Spirit. One in will, one in essence, distinct in person. So when we see creation comes through the Son... It is in the same way we should think that salvation comes through the Son. He's the one that accomplished the work of redemption. The Father did not die on a cross. The Spirit was not nailed to the cross. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was nailed to a cross. Yet, He is one with the Father and the Spirit. Now, what's the point for us? Well, contextually for Hebrews, the point was this, is Christ was superior to all things, that Christ was superior to their old way of doing things. And Hebrews makes the point that Christ is the eternal high priest of God. So right at the beginning, the stress is this, Christ is eternally God through whom all of creation comes back. And those that were receiving this truth from God, they were considering going back to their works. They were considering going back to their old ways of life. And so he begins by making this point, the one who brought all things into existence is the one who now mediates on your behalf. He goes on to say that Christ has inherited an eternal priesthood. And so before he even gets there, he starts with the doctrine of creation to show that this eternal priest is the same one that created the world. Wonderful, comforting truth is to know that the one that created all things is the one who mediates on your behalf. As we read later in Hebrews, he ever lives to mediate for you. There's never a time where he ceases to do that, but he has inherited an eternal priesthood. Why? Because Christ himself is eternal. All that exists came about through him. Now, only one who created you 
that, that formed you, that designed you, that knows you, and is himself eternal, could give you any true security in this life and the next. Because everything else we know is diminishing in our sight and in our hands. But one who is eternal, that is creator, is one in whom you can find hope, comfort, and security. And so the point, why would you go back to Judaism? Now you might be thinking, I'm not thinking about going back to Judaism. Fair enough. But let's apply that. Let's bridge that to our time right now. Let me ask you, where is it that you find rest? Where is it that you find comfort in trials or in persecution, in difficult times? Where is it that you find security when it seems like everything else is falling apart around you? You see, our Savior created all things. He maintains all things. We see this in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's all his. He created it. He designed it according to his purposes. And he's overseeing it as he has sat down, as we learn later in Hebrews, at the right hand of majesty on high and is ruling and governing it right now. Why? Because it's His. All things culminate in Him. All things are surrounding Him. All of history and all things come back to Him. And so if that is true, that He created all things, that all of history culminates in Him, that He is going to bring an end to those things, and He is going to bring a newness to those things, because He owns all things, then I think it's safe to say that He is without doubt capable of maintaining you. And He's capable of seeing that you persevere. I think it's safe to say, in considering of that mind-boggling statement of our God, is that He is superior to anything in this life. You can think of your greatest joy that you have, your greatest joy in this life did not bring all things into existence. Jesus did. So why would you turn to the things of this world for comfort when there is a God who created all things, created you, and promises to hold you? Why would we look to the things of this world to make sense of the things in this life when there is an eternal one that designed, maintains all things? So we see the superiority of Christ, but there's something else here in this that we have to see is that because He created all things, He is also the ruler of all things. In fact, He goes on to say, He upholds the universe by the word of His power, which is speaking of His governance. And we'll look at that phrase at another point. But it is speaking of His ruling power. And it's connected to the fact that He created. He created is related to His right to rule over all that He created. Not only does He inherit all things that we already see, whom He appointed the heir of all things, not only does He inherit all things, but that He also owns and is creator of all things, and thus He is the ruler of all things. And let me just make a couple of points on this. As the ruler, he has the right to command you, his creation. Who are we to speak to the creator? We we will only speak back to the creator if we forget that we were created. 
He is the creator. He has created all things. Now just think about this. He has the right to command nature and how nature works. He has the right to command how you work and what's best for you. Then does it not make sense because he created you, he designed you according to his purpose? Does it then not make sense that he has not only authority to tell you how to live, but because of his infinite knowledge and perfect design, it means that his instructions for us are actually for our good? Because he designed us. So then when he tells us how to live, he's telling us how to live in a way that is according to his design and his purpose. And when we go outside of that, what happens? You know why I don't believe in evolution? It's for this simple fact, is there's not one example of mutation that works in the benefit of the substance that is being mutated. It always ends up in something that destroys in the mutation. So in order for you to to hold to, to evolution, you have to think that that, actually there was a mutation that happened in the benefit of man and somehow we came from it. It's never happened because it can't. All mutations actually result in something that is destructive for the one that's being mutated. So you think about it like this, is when God has designed us and told us how to live, and we go outside of that, we're very much like a mutation. And what happens is not for our benefit and our advancement and for human flourishing, but for the opposite. Hello, 2022. And you see that. His instructions are actually the best way we can live. And you look at the connection that through the Son is creation. And Colossians, it told us that He is is very careful, that He rules over all of these things that He has created, that He is the head of the body, the church, that is speaking that He rules as Creator. You think of the idea that in John, the creation is tied to light and that the light is over the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. And you see that theme throughout John of life versus death throughout. That Christ actually rescues us from darkness. He is the creator, he is the conqueror, and the ruler in him is light. And the world is darkness. It would be utter foolishness and to our ruin to look at the Word of God that gives us perfect direction and then say, yeah, but I'm going to do the opposite. The one who created me out of nothing doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to take this a step further. This goes beyond that he created your body and your physical substance. He created your soul. God is the creator of the human soul. And when we're dealing with the soul, it makes sense then to go to the one who created it. How do we go to him? In his word. Not only will we wreck both body and soul when we go outside of it, we will also have to give an account to him for it. John Owen the Puritan says this, No creature can decline the authority or waive the tribunal of him that made all. So let us be, as James says, doers of the word and not hearers, deceiving ourselves. But by the way, this is not all about a bunch of rules and that Christ is ruler and tells you how to do things. Though Christ is the ruler, though Christ is the king, and though Christ has given us his word to tell us how to live our lives, this is not about rules. This is about the liberty that you have in Christ. I love what the confession of faith says in chapter 21, verse 1, or paragraph 2, and that is this, is that God alone is Lord of the conscience. That's freeing. 
That's freeing to know that the one who created all things is the one and the only one that has right to govern you and to tell you how to live. You know why that's freeing? Is because then I don't have to try to figure it out on my own. And that also means this, as that there's no man that can make up a law that can bind my conscience. Only the Lord and Creator of all things can do it. But here is the thing. He has told us how to live. And when we go outside of it, it's to our death and destruction. For the wages of sin is death. There's a third thing I want us to consider. Not only does this show us that he is superior to all things of this created world, but that he is the ruler of this world, but this also is to lead us to worship. This is to lead us to worship. What do we read in Psalm 19? That the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation is so wonderful and it's so remarkable that Romans 1 tells us that creation itself leaves man without an excuse. In other words, when man is being honest with himself and he looks at the created order, he doesn't say, ah, that must have come about through a big bang. No, he says there must have been design and a creator that designed all these things. Why? Because everything works. Everything works. We look at nature and we see that it's not by chance, but by design. And this one that created all things in the creation of all things did what? He set aside one day. So this is the day of of rest. This is a day of worship. And the Son, when He was resurrected, brings about a new creation. The first day of the week is the day that we are to recognize. Because in the Son who created all things, also in the resurrection brings about new life and a new creation, which we are said to be part of. And that is the day that commands the nations to gather and worship Him. He is the creator of all things, and He is the creator of a new creation. He deserves our worship. We can either worship the things of this world that are far inferior, for they are created. Or we can worship the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we need to know is that there is coming a day when there will be an act of of worship by, by all. Romans chapter 14, verse 11 says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There's coming a day where there will be a rightful acknowledgement of our Creator, and we will either acknowledging Him willfully in worship and humble adoration or in fear. But all of the created order is brought and set to worship the Son in eternity. We see this so clearly in Revelation. You see this of this picture of heaven. When we read in 22 of Revelation, the angel showed me the river of water, of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city also. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will will worship Him. All of eternity is set to worship the Son. To recognize Him as the Lamb that brings about salvation. And so as we reflect upon this, what does it mean that He created all things for us? Well, it means He's superior to anything you can find in this world. It means that He's the ruler of this world, for He created it. But it also means He is deserving of our worship. Let us never cease to do it now. To quote John Owen one more time, he wrote these words as he 
came near to the end of his life, he says this, the beholding of the glory of Christ is one of the greatest privileges and advancements that believers are capable of in this world or that which is to come. Notice what he says. It is our greatest privilege to worship the Son. Let us always worship the one who gives us salvation and through whom salvation comes and through whom your very existence is owing to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you called forth a people for yourself to be in your Son. And that through your Son, salvation is accomplished. And that it is applied by your Spirit. And how we stand in wonder and in awe that you called forth all things into existence through your Son and by your Spirit. Father, these things are too deep and incomprehensible for us to fully grasp, but you have revealed yourself to us by these things. I pray that, Father, we would stand in awe and worship of you for who you have revealed yourself to be, for who you are. I pray that, Father, the truths of your word would be ringing in our hearts the rest of this day, that we would be reflecting upon the eternal truth that you are creator, that you created through the Son, and what this means for us here and now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.